Mindfulness Mode 428. These moments right here in the present are going to captivate people and entice people to go deeper, to feel more, to become themselves. Hey, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. This is Bruce, your host. I am excited today with my guest, and I'm going to be telling you all about him in a couple of minutes. But but first, I want to share with you uh, that, yes, I've mentioned in a couple of the last episodes that I'm putting together a group of people uh, well, it's going to be a group all about mindfulness. It's going to be a group where I can contribute a number of different things like mindfulness tools to help get through some of those challenges in life, guided meditations, there'll be a live monthly call, mindfulness uh, tools of other descriptions as well as news about mindfulness and information and I'm thinking about putting in some original healing music that I'm going to create and if you have any more ideas I'd love to hear from you I'd love to hear your input and I just uh, want to ask if you would consider doing a quick five question survey for me about what you would like to receive from this group because it's all about you and how you can benefit just go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash mm survey and that's where you'll find that quick survey to fill out so if you would do that i would completely appreciate it it would just be great now today's episode and and before i tell you about that too i want to tell you that there is a download available at the end of this of this episode so uh check that out and uh yeah so today's uh guest he's he's fascinating there's a sort of a mystical quality about him and he describes himself as as a sort of a interesting combination of mystic and businessman and his his story that he wrote his book really truly touches the heart and and makes you think about life in a different way. Now, he's had so many experiences living in different ways in the world, like living in a monastery, and and uh, he studied in a seminary for five years. And, oh, he tells a story on the show about how he helped to grow Hay House Publishing from $3 million a year in revenue to over a hundred million a year. That's a pretty fascinating story. I think you're going to enjoy this gentleman. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Daniel Levin. Mindful Tribe, I am absolutely excited to have a wonderful author and he is so much more than an author, but I have Daniel Levin with me today. Hey Daniel, are you in mindfulness mode today? You know, I was until about 10 minutes ago when I came on here and I and I had my first encounter of the day with Mercury retrograde, which my computer wasn't working. And I went, whoa, now what's going on? I, I had all this time. <laughs> but, but fortunately enough for me, mindfulness is not something that I have, that I enter into. Mindfulness is something that's always there. And if I'm just open to it, it connects to me. And so one of the things that I want to shift in, in, the, in the way that I work with people in the world is it's less about us being the doer and more about the surrender into what is being done. If that makes sense. That does make sense. And I was going to ask you what mindfulness means to you. And you've gone ahead and, and told me a little bit about it. And I love what you said, that it comes to you. Has it always? Has mindfulness always come to you? Um, no, no, because I've spent a lot of time being the great white knight, running, coming into a room and thinking that I was the one that was saving humanity, fixing people, helping people, doing all that stuff until... Um, I think what happens when, for at least for me, what happened for me is riding on that horse became a little hard. And eventually I got slapped off of that horse. Um, and, and I watched my wife um, die the most painful death that could ever you could ever imagine. And I was two inches from her. And here the great white knight couldn't take one moment of her pain away. And, and how long ago did that happen? That was 19 years ago. 
Um, and she was in blood curdling, screaming pain for 45 minutes, every 45 minutes. So 45 minutes on 45 minutes off for two and a half years. Wow. And, and so after that happened, something happened to me, obviously, because I can no longer believe that I was this great white knight. And I started to believe what would happen if I was merely a breath in the one who breathes, that I wasn't even the breather. I was the inhalation, just one inhalation and exhalation of the one who breathes through the world around me. And in that flow, it took a lot of the burden off of me. We live in a world where everybody's trying to be a superhero. We live in a world where everybody's telling you what their superpower is. The mosaic for me and the characters that I that we spoke about just briefly before we came on air represent to me the celebration of the ordinary. That it's the ordinary things in life that are magnificent. If yeah, I were, I think it's so hard for people to understand that that you know everybody's searching for that big thing that expensive thing that wonderful big house or whatever and they don't realize what you just said is so profound yeah if if i do this with people all the time let's do it now and see if see where it leads us okay yes on a scale of 1 to 10 with 1 being absolutely what you do not want and 10 being absolutely what you die to have where would you put the quality of ordinary? Well, I would put it very high. I would put it at a, a eight, a nine. I think that just living a quiet, calm, ordinary life is what really makes me the happiest. I love you. I, <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love you. So you have no idea how few people comment that way. Most people, when I ask them on that scale where they put it, 95% of them say one or two. And if they say two, it's only they feel bad that they wanted to say one because they don't want to be ordinary. They don't want their kids to be ordinary. They're trying to be extraordinary. And when I ask them on that same scale where extraordinary comes, they say 9, 10, 12, 20, 100. And so you're, you, there's no doubt you are doing a podcast called Around Mindfulness because you understand something most people don't see. What I ask people is if ordinary is something you do not want to be, why do you want to be extra of something you don't want to be? That makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's really funny that you say right? that. I think that's so clever. And so what the mosaic in, in the spaces between the words of the stories that speak just as loud as the words of the story has shown me is that extraordinary things happen when extraordinaries come together. We were never meant to do this on our own. We were never meant to live life alone. I totally we, agree. We were never meant to come up with our own solutions. We were never meant to, to wear capes and masks. We were meant to be just ourselves, beautiful, ordinary people. A sunset happens every night. You, we know exactly the time it will happen. It's ordinary. It is ordinary, but it's not ordinary. Yeah, and I, I totally get that. I love how in the media they talk about, oh, there's going to be there's going to be an eclipse, and it will be the only time this century you can see that eclipse. And I'm like, well, just a minute. When the sun sets tonight, it will be the only time this century we can see a sunset that looks exactly like that. I love that. I I love that. And that that frame of mind is really. Imagine when you think that you no longer have to be more than you are. Imagine the self-loathing, that, that, that thought process, if I have to be somebody different than I am, places upon us. Because we can never be all extraordinary all the time. No. So we end up setting goals for ourselves of something we can never be and hating ourselves because we can't be that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Daniel, I want to share with my listeners a little bit about you and where you've been. Daniel Levin is a unique combination of mystic and businessman. He's spent his whole life searching for the place called heaven, but he only realized it during the three years he spent writing 
his most recent book, The Mosaic, which we've been speaking about. Previous to that, Daniel thought he had found heaven. At least I think this is true. When he was offered the opportunity to run a billion-dollar business. That never happened. Daniel helped Hay House grow from $3 million to $100 million in revenue as director of business development. He also studied in a seminary for five years. And get this, the one day before, before he could become a rabbi, he, he left. So there's a story there. He lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years. And oh, did I mention that Daniel's hitchhiked around the world? Searching for happiness. So, so much, so much to learn from you. I, I want to know this story about how, you know, one day before you were finished your training at the seminary, you decided to leave and not become a rabbi. Now, tell us about this. Um, first of all, I want to meet that guy you're talking about. He sounds really interesting. <laughs> he does. <laughs> uh, I, and let me just segue for one second, and then I'll come back to your question. Yes. As interesting as all of that is, Bruce, we have, a, we have a goal in front of us right here now in this hour or so that we spend together. That if we can touch people, and if we can awaken something inside them that, they, that makes them want to just be themselves, then it doesn't matter if I've lived under a bridge or done whatever I've done. Because these moments right here in the present are going to captivate people and entice people to go deeper, to feel more, to become themselves. But if we can't do that, all that history doesn't mean anything. It's just water under the bridge. And so as, as much as I appreciate you acknowledging that and bringing that out, I want to also stand in complete humility and just share with everybody this beautiful exchange that we're having of two people who didn't even know that each other existed until a little while ago. And yet we can come on a conversation like this and feel an instant connection and how beautiful that is. It is. So, it is beautiful. It's so amazing to so, be talking. So the story about why I left, I, I, I left, I didn't realize what I was doing until I wrote the mosaic three years ago. Um, I had been offered incredible opportunities all my life to run, to run companies, to, to expand companies, to be, to be uh, religiously involved, to be spiritually involved. But everywhere I looked, I kept hearing the whisper that when I asked the adults after my parents passed away, to, when I was a kid two years apart on the same day, where they were, they answered to me, they're in heaven. So mine, my whole life was a search for heaven. And I looked for it in, psycho in school, studying psychology, wasn't there. I put my thumb out on the road and traveled around the world looking for what was already right inside me. I couldn't find it out there either. It was fun. I met a lot of the people that I wrote about in the mosaic on that road. Couldn't find it. I was hitchhiking en route to India and ended up in Israel because a rabbi said to me, were you born Jewish to go to India and become an Indian? Why were you born Jewish? And I said, I don't know the answer to that question. He said, then sit with me until you know the answer. And I spent five years there. And I would say to him, some of the things you're teaching me don't feel comfortable to me. And he said something really brilliant. He said, take everything that doesn't make sense to you and put it on a shelf. What happens is as you get stronger and stronger in what we believe, you're going to get larger and larger. And so that shelf that looked like it was out of reach now is just going to become like a little molehill that you can walk over. As you get weaker and weaker in what we believe, you're going to get smaller and smaller, and that shelf is going to look too high to ever conquer. But the shelf always remains the same. Problems always remain where they are. When we get stronger, those problems appear less. When we get weaker, they appear more. So the day before I was to leave, I was to be ordained. I went into his office, and there's some stories around that that would take longer to share. But I went into his office, and I said, um, Rebbe, that shelf, it broke. 
and I can no longer go out. I can't, I can't choose to be ordained in your name, saying that I would represent your training when the belief systems I have are not what you believe. Uh -huh. So I think it's better for me to leave. And I continued on in a long route to get to India, which was where I was headed when I was first set out. Uh -huh. Well, I understand. I understand that. That makes sense. And then was it after that that you lived as a monk in a monastery? Yeah. So after that, I came back to America and my brother has been part of a yoga community. Mm -hmm. And I just, ha I came to where he was. I, st I opened up a restaurant and a bookstore in San Francisco and he was in a, he was, he was in a yoga group in San Francisco. And the more I started to associate with them, the more I started to think, oh, this is, there's something so fabulous about this because in Judaism, we would pray by reading prayers and we would know the prayers and you would feel them and you'd put intention to them. Mm -hmm. But in yoga, the process of prayer was practice of meditation where you would just sit and you would speak to the divine and then you would listen for an answer. And that process seems so much more real to me. And I said, I'm still looking for that place called heaven. Maybe if I enter the monastery, I'll find that place. And I was in the monastery for 10 years. And so you say you met some of the characters in real life that you shared in the mosaic. And I really loved the, the characters in the mosaic because they were not characters I would expect to meet, like the mirror maker and the, the road worker and the, the different people, the flower girl. So yes. tell me about those characters. How did you decide to ultimately choose those characters? For the sake of sounding really weird, I didn't decide anything. They decided. The process of writing this book, I thought would take two to three months to do because I had written a book similar to it for to brand a hotel in Hawaii, where I told the story of the hotel by making up a story for the hotel. So I just thought, oh, these stories are interesting to do. I'm going to write another one. It'll take me two or three months. Three years later, I was almost every, every black hair that I had in my head had turned white. And I would write these stories and they would erase them because it was as if they were trying to say something through me. When I was at Hay House, one of the things I saw was there were very few authors that wrote the book they knew. Most of them wrote the book they most needed to read. And on more than one occasion, I would go back to them and say, you seem troubled. You're changing the lives of millions of people. I think it's time for you to reread your book. Mm. Read it, sit with it, let it get to know it again. It came for you too. And clearly the mosaic was meant for me as well. This whole idea of seeing something extraordinary in the ordinary is what's beautiful to me. Yeah, it, it was a beautiful book to read because it's about what we can't see. It's about what we we can only imagine. It's it's right in front of us, but yet yeah. it's so so beautiful the way you you put it together. What took you to Hay House? How did you get there? Um, so. I met Reed, who was the CEO of Hay House, uh, many years before. I was running a publishing house for the yoga community that I was a monk in. And uh, we, I went down there to do some speak, to see if they would be interested in us working together to create a venue where people would speak together. And right. so I, Louise had been speaking on her own. Kriyananda, who was the man who was running the community I was in, was speaking on his own. And I said, you know something? I think if we all came together and we brought a few more people in, we could have a more dynamic event than people speaking. Louise Woodgetty was bringing 1,000 people in on her own. People, she was pretty well known. Sure. Kriyananda was bringing 200 people in on his own or something like that. But I thought, why don't we see if we can get a group of people? And, and they were, they were f wide open to it. Mm -hmm. And so... 
I said, I'll, I'll do all the work. Let's just do it together. I'll do all the work. You know, I, I, I would love to do this. And so they said, we need to find, I, I think we need to find five people. So we already have Kriyananda and Louise. Let's see if we can get a guy by the name of Wayne Dyer, because his publishing house doesn't even know how to say his name. So they called him Wayne Dwyer. And I said, I, I think we can get a woman who sort of reached her peak and is coming down, but she's still pretty well known, Shakti Gawain, who wrote Creative Visualizations. And I said, I'm not sure who the next one is. Let me call a few publishing houses and see who they are trying to promote. And I called Bantam and they, they said, there's a guy on the horizon that's going to be huge. And I said, okay, you know, that's what everybody says. Tell me about him. And they said, his name is Deepak Chopra. Nobody knows about him now. But uh, if you put him out there, I think you'll be amazed by what he says. So I said, I'll take a risk for it. It feels right. Mm -hmm. So we created an event called Visions of the Future, and we had those five people come. And those five people, um, we sold tickets that you could see to people where you could see all of them for $35. Wow. The, wow. Venue, the venue seated 3,000, 3,500 people, and it sold out in like 20 minutes. And when we came to the venue, we saw people sleeping around the venue all night so that because there was first come, first serve. So I looked at Reed and I said, you know, maybe we could have a reserved seating area mm -hmm. and charge $150. And that way people won't have to sleep on the ground here and we'll be, you know, have a safer environment also. We did that and it sold out in, in six minutes. Those sections and, it, and we just kept going. So we started to work together and have some success. And he looked at me at one point and he said, would you ever think about working with us? And I said, well, I'm in Northern California. You're in Southern California. My wife is very, that was when my wife had gotten sick. Mm. And I said, I, I, I'm limited in what I can do. He said, it doesn't matter. You just do what you can do. And, and we want you to do it. You have, you've had, while I, what I've watched is you've had like eight or $9 million ideas that I just want you to do, do, do for us. And I said, sure. And so over the course of time, we grew Hay House from a million dollars in sales to a hundred million dollars a year in sales. And we did it by doing something easy. We just, I just created something nobody ever saw before. I created all those card decks that were just, to me, they were the cliff notes of, of self-help books, but done in a beautiful way. We're just the 50 top thoughts were there and then they became oracle cards and then people and and we were able to bring in new york times best-selling authors because nobody was doing those so i said i said to them you're probably not going to want us to do your books because you're getting a million dollar advance we can't do that for you but nobody's doing these card decks and over time at first they it took a while for bookstores to accept them mm -hmm. but once they did the card decks started to sell five to 10 times what their books were selling. Oh. And they came back to me, the authors came back to me and said, Danny, we have, we've done very little for this product that you created for us. And it's selling 10 times more than our books, which are New York Times bestsellers. Why wouldn't we publish our books with you? And I said, well, I can give you the easy answer. The easy answer is you're getting a million dollar advance but some of those people don't even know how to pronounce your name. We can do the same thing they're doing by getting the books into the bookstores. We'll give you a higher royalty and you'll make more money from what you sell, even though you won't have it all up front. So if you need the money up front, stay where you are. Mm -hmm. If you don't come to us. And most of them stayed where they were until one of them decided to come to us. And we took a book her name was Sylvia Brown. She was a psychic. We took a book that had been out of print for five years and we put it on the New York times list for 52 weeks. That's a whole year. Nobody wanted it. She didn't even know what to do with it. We published it and said, you have nothing to lose. Let us publish it. She was on the Montel Williams show every month. We took an ad out every time she was on and the book just, it sold, it sold millions of copies. And so from that point, she started to say, look, these guys took a book that was out of print that nobody even wanted. And they can do miracles. And so 
we had taken all the work we had done to pub to publish people like me now who are the cream of the crop so to speak we're at the top of the bottom right and we were working really hard to get them well known now we had well-known people putting that energy into it to just everything exploded so it was easy to grow it once you once you see the the vehicle that will take you there you just have to invest in that vehicle and let it take you there so danny what was it like working with wayne dyer um, yeah, he's a character. <laughs> he, he was a, I used to tease him because one of the card decks that we created at first, yeah. I created the initial card deck called the Zen cards. Uh-huh. And, and one of the other ones was inner peace cards that Wayne had done. We created four. We had power thought cards by Louise, four agreement cards, inner peace cards, and the Zen cards. And so, you know, Wayne was this huge mega selling author and for for about a breath of time, my deck outsold his. And so (laughs) I I would go to him and I'd say, you know, look how big you are. And this little schmuck that nobody's ever heard of is outselling you. It it lasted maybe an eighth of a second. So, (laughs) but we had fun. That was our relationship. And, And my relationship with all of these people was that I saw them as just regular people. I was the one that many of them came to when they were in trouble or when their life was falling apart because they know I didn't idolize them or look up to them. I just loved them. And I remember Wayne and a bunch of other people, we were at a dinner one night and they said, Danny, we've asked you a million times what we can do for you and you've never said anything. We want to do something for you. And I said, it's not me. my job is to help you. That's what I do. I don't need you to help me. That you, you're helping millions of people. You don't need to worry about me. And they said, but we want to. And they found something that really touched my heart, which is I, I also have the privilege of having a developmentally delayed daughter. And they said, why don't we come in and do some work on your daughter? And we created like a little circus where every hour somebody else was coming in, you know, top of the line, huge people coming into my house to work with my daughter until the end of the first day when my daughter looked at me and she said, daddy, what's wrong with me? Uh And And I said, sweetheart, there's nothing wrong with you. She said, then why are all these people coming here to fix me? And I just broke out in tears. And I said, I said, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I just wanted to help you, but there's nothing. You don't need to be fixed. And in that moment, that was the first moment that I realized what the mosaic was. We're not broken. We're all just pieces that fit into this artistry that's a mosaic. And I said to her at that moment, I promise you, I will never look at you as broken again. I'll never look at you as if you need to be fixed. I'll just look at you and love you for who you are and what you do. So they were all fabulous people. Wayne was fabulous, funny, good sense of humor. Danny, how old were you when your father died? 13. You were 13 and 15 when your mother died then. And they passed away two years apart on the same day. Incredible, incredible. When I started reading your book, like I can tell you it was so moving because my own father just died in January and you know, it just just the way you wrote it and and what you shared was so powerful and, and I just felt so connected. And that's your purpose. Connection. Yes. Yeah. Tell us how you set out to connect us all on this planet. Um, beautiful question. You you're good at what you do, by the way. You listen beautifully and you ask great questions. So thank, thank you. you for that. Thank you. Um We live in the time that is one of the most connected times the world has ever known. And yet I find it really interesting that we're not more connected than we've ever been. In some ways, we're less connected than we've ever been. We know what's happening 15,000 miles away, but we don't know the name of our next door neighbor. True. We We don't know what's happening in our kids' lives. We have become more and more isolated, more and more siloed, because the pains that we've experienced have gone so deep that we try and all protect ourselves somehow. And so one of the things that I realized, and again, remember, the mosaic came to teach me, not because I knew it, 
And this is the struggle of my life right now. This is the place. Look how much I talk. And the only goal of the mosaic is to help me learn how to listen. Yes. When we listen, what happened, what happened in that story? Most parents passed away. Instead of building a silo and keeping himself enclosed, he actually went out and started walking. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Because he wanted to find the place called heaven. And, and even though he was put off a little bit by the people that he found, thinking, how are these people going to show me heaven? They don't seem like the right people. But I'm here right in front of them. Why not just sit with them and listen to what they have to say? He didn't speak so much. Each one of them told him their story. In the world we live in today, we don't listen. We speak. We have silo speaking against silo and talking over silo. You look at any talk, whether it's on CNN or Fox News, it doesn't matter which place goes. It doesn't matter, Democrat or Republican. We don't talk to each other. We talk over each other. No, and we think that we have to have radio and television going in every space that we walk into, no matter where it is, in a grocery store or while we have our hair cut or whatever. We, we feel like we have to have that, that noise going on. And I think that's part of the reason is we're afraid of silence. We're afraid of our silence. So the question is why? Yeah. Why, why are we afraid of the quiet that is within us? And I mean, that's something I can, I can give my ideas on it, but yes. I, that would be something that I would invite everyone who is listening here to contemplate because it really doesn't matter one iota what I think. It matters that you ask, that people ask themselves that question. What is it that I'm scared that I will hear if I just listen to the quiet? What is it that will happen if I actually get to know myself a little bit? What am I running from? Who am I scared I will find? I think that we're living our lives. Yogananda, who was the inspiration behind the community that I was involved in, where I was a monk for 10 years, had a beautiful saying. I don't, I don't, I don't think today, to this day, I still understand it. But he, he said... Enlightenment equals center everywhere, circumference nowhere. Where we are centered, everywhere we are, we're, cent we're in the center. And everything around us is circumference. But as soon as we move to that place, that becomes center. We live in a world that's exactly the opposite. We're circumference everywhere, center nowhere. And if we could ask ourselves... If we were to stop trying to be what everybody else wants us to be, you know, in business, everybody's saying, follow this model, find the people that you, you, that are successful and follow what they do. I don't say that. I say, learn from them, but don't follow them. Go inside and follow what you're, t what you're supposed to do. Because even if you follow them and they're right 85% of the time, 15% of the time, they're going to be wrong for you because you're not them. You have your own way. We were created on this earth for a purpose and to do our purpose, not to just copy somebody else's modalities. So true. Don't you think we all have uh, an incredible fear of facing the truth? Yeah, but why? We do. It's so much. I have a saying now that I say that it, it, it spins off my tongue so easily. And then I sit back and I lament and I say, why? Why is this? And the saying is, the truth has become so hard to believe, we call it a lie. And the lie has become so easy to believe, we call it the truth. And the truth is that we're connected. But nobody feels that. How can we be connected? You're where you are. I'm where I am. You're a good-looking guy. I'm an old, crotchy guy. You know. And, and how do how could how could we have the audacity to say we're connected? But when we look at the form that separates us, when we look at this body under high-powered microscopes, we don't see form when in in the thing that makes up this form. We see swirls of energy. 
we see atoms and neurons and protons and whatever else it is that science says they are that I'm not smart enough to understand. But we don't see solid form. So quantum physics is, is joining metaphysics now in showing us that we are a connected reality. Energy has no boundary. Why would we be scared of that? It's a great question. What would we see if we could see what we do not see? So, I just love that that question. I do too. And that's the, that's the underground uh, thought of the mosaic. Yes, and, so, and so put that right now into our conversation. What we see is form. What we believe in is form. We believe in what we see. And what we look to find is what we're going to find. So when we look for things that are form-based, we'll find form and we think that's our reality, but that's the lie. If we could see what we don't see, which is the energy that, that gives that form life, we would realize we're all connected. And I think it's easy to realize that we're all connected, but I work in the field of mindfulness and I've had the privilege to spend so much time with people that understand that. I think yeah. that helps. I think that makes a difference. You have, you have included beautiful artistry in your book. How did you, you find the artists that created those works of art? Um, good fortune. And again, I don't think I found anything. I think things found me. I, I went online and I had completely different art for, a, for the book until I sent it to the woman who was designing it for me. And she said, are these all, um, are these all available to you? Can you use them? I said, well, they're on the internet. I think I can. She said, no, 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 no. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's not how it works. No. That's how it works. So you've got to get approval and you've got to get things that are, that are in public domain. Right. And so I searched through, I researched and I refound and I read and, and people came into my life and I asked if I could use their art and they were, they were charmed. Some of them said, no, I don't want to be involved. That's fine. The ones that said no, were, I, I, I love them as much as I love the ones that said yes. Well, the book is phenomenal and you can check it out at the mosaic Absolutely. The mosaic I want to ask you what your meditation practice looks like. Oh boy. Um, or do I, you I, meditate? Maybe oh, you don't meditate. Oh, no, God. Yes. I, 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 can't, <laughs> I can't imagine life without it. Uh, I've been meditating every day for 45 years. And when I was in the monastery, some of those days meditation, I would get up at three 30 in the morning and meditate till eight 30 in the morning. And then meditate from 5.30 again until 9.30. So I've had a lot of years where I was meditating a lot. And what happens for me in the process of that quiet, the universe speaks. But it doesn't shout. The reason it's so important to, like you said, to turn off the television and the radio and just allow quiet to be around you is that once there's so much noise happening around us, when people are telling us by their programs, you have to follow my way, when you have to just songs going through your head and songs that you don't mean anything to you, you're singing lyrics. I'm singing lyrics from 40 years ago that I, that I write. Yeah. And we fill our mind with so much garbage. That's why the trash man is so important. True. In the story, of the mosaic, the trash man came up to Mo in his trash truck and Mo had nothing on his body, nothing on his back. He's just wearing the clothes that he was wearing. The street that he was on had no trash on it. And the trash man asked him, do you have any trash for me to take? And Mo looked at him like, what are you, an idiot? I mean, like there's nothing, yeah. I, I, there's nothing here. I don't, I'm not even carrying anything. And he was just about to say it until he looked into his eyes. And he realized he wasn't talking about the trash that was he was carrying. He was talking about the internal trash that keeps him from feeling that peace that he wants to feel. Mm. And he started crying. He said, oh, my God, I have so much of that. I don't even know where to start. And the trash man pulled off, turned off his truck and said, I'll come down and I'll help you. If you let me, I'll come in with you and we'll just take it out one piece at a time. 
And so let's take that trash out and put it in my truck and then we'll grind it up and I'll drive my truck away and you don't have to have it anymore. And that opened up for me a practice that I want to, that I want to invite everybody that's listening to do. Do we have time for this? Is that yes. okay? Yes, we do. It's something that Thich Nhat Hanh, the beautiful Vietnamese monk shared. And I wish I could have said it as beautifully as he did, but it's the practice that I wanted to practice. So I just give him credit for it. He talks about a place that has, that's called compassionate listening, where you just meet somebody and you say to them, put all your, tell me about your trash. Tell me about all the things that hurt you, all the pains, all your sufferings. You don't have to show me your Facebook post where you're smiling and everything is good. Show me the part of you that aches and pains. And I'm going to hold this space for you, a little holding tank out here. And I'm going to invite you to put all of your pain and suffering into this tank. And sometimes they might say to me, Danny, you're the one that's causing me the pain. You just constantly, you just won't give up. You're just on my back. You and, and instead of defending myself or rationalizing myself or trying to be right, I can do that another time if I choose. In this moment, I just say, please tell me more. Tell me everything you feel. Just rid it. Put everything about what you believe in here. And the compassionate part of that listening, this is the trash man. The compassionate part of that listening is you hold the space for them to rid themselves of everything that causes them suffering. Because once they take it out of themselves and put it into the space, it's no longer there. They can choose to have it again if they want, but why? Once it's gone, you don't have to have it again. No. Right? And so, so the beautiful thing, like if my son would say to me now, dad, I want to become a trash man. And he was talking about that trash man. I would invest every dollar that I had in that education to do that. Before I wrote the mosaic, I would have said, why waste your time? That's the lowest of low professions. But when you realize what the mosaic showed me is there is no lowest of low. There is no ordinary and extraordinary. Every single being has the ability to completely transform us, completely change us, completely open us up, completely expand the way we view the world that we're living in. And the gift of, of receiving that and accepting that and hearing that and seeing that, seeing what we don't see, becomes so intoxicating that life becomes just a, uh, an adventure beyond anything. And so I wonder if the gift that I could give people was that they would know how beautiful they are, why would they be scared to go in there and see that? There's no fear there. They're, they're intoxicatingly beautiful. I love your words. So Danny, do you have a story about bullying, a situation in your life, a story where mindfulness would have made a difference? hundred um, percent. I was always a big guy growing up, so nobody bullied me. But my, my whole bullying story is not about what somebody outside did to me. It's about how I treat myself. I'm so hard on myself. I've always been so hard on myself. I always put myself down so much that the silo that I had to build around myself to protect myself from my own assault was so close to me because I never knew when I was going to hit myself or where I was going to hit myself. So I walked through life with a wall around me three inches from my body. And I wondered why I could never connect to people. But you can't connect when my wall hits another wall. That's not a connection. No. That's a wall meeting a wall. And no wonder my relationships weren't as happy as I wanted them to be or, as, or my interactions in the world weren't the way I wanted because I was completely siloed. When I started to be kind to myself, I dropped that wall because I no longer needed it to defend myself from myself. And so what I would like to invite people to, to encounter, forget about the bully out there, even though they exist. First resolve the bully in here. And when you resolve that, you're free. Yes, and I think part of resolving it is learning to believe that we are all one. 
Yes. And learning to understand how we can be connected. Yes. Yes. And that we're good enough and that we deserve it. And that we're, that everything the creator is, is what we are. And you would never hear the creator say, I'm not good enough to do that. True. And so if we're one with the creator, how could we be anything? How could we not be good enough? Right. True. I want to move on by asking you five quick answer questions. So okay. just 30 second answers are perfect. This <laughs> <laughs> may be challenging for you, Danny, but the first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced you to have mindfulness in your life? Yogananda. Paramahansa Yogananda. If you ever want a book to read that will completely blow your mind, it's called Autobiography of a Yogi. On page seven, there's a saint that is bilocating his body. His body is in two places at the same time. At that point, I said, I've got to know what this guy's talking about. And that story has changed people's lives. But it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing story. He was one of the few who came to tell people what he knew rather than learn from the book that he wrote. Right. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? This is going to sound very black and white, but I'm going to say it because it's true to my experience. The process of mindfulness has almost limited the emotions. For me, emotions live at the, at the, um, at the rim of the wheel. We get caught up in the things that are happening outside of us and we experience those and we feel those and they come into us. When we're truly mindful, when we're truly mindful, and I'm in a situation like that right now, I'm trying to transition from the career that I had where everybody's selling something to everybody and I'm selling my services and I'm doing things. I'm so sick of that. Mm. To the place that where I'm really mindful to know that the one that I really believe in who takes care of everyone will also take care of me. And if I'm mindful enough to not worry, not mindful enough to not stress, mindful enough to not think about how will the future be or in the past when I did that, mindful enough to just say in this moment, how is my life? I live in a beautiful home, three blocks from the ocean. I have happy children with me. I have a wife that enjoys that we, we love each other. What could be better than that? Why worry about a future that may or may not ever come? I might die before that future comes. Be right here now. And it, it takes away the emotion of the situation for me, if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. Tell me, tell me, how is breathing? part of your mindfulness in your life we should do another podcast because because uh breathing is one is we can go months we can go weeks to months without food we can go days to weeks without water we can only go seconds without breath but we don't think about breath we put it to our subconscious mind and say it's too complicated for us to have to think about breathing all the time but our breath affects our life. Our breath is the very thing that gives us life. And what the mosaic showed me is there are four types of breath. There's a shallow inhalation, shallow exhalation, a shallow inhalation and a deep exhalation, a deep inhalation and a shallow exhalation, and a deep inhalation and a deep exhalation. Each one of those has properties. Each one of those has characteristics. But when we have a deep inhalation and a deep exhalation, that means we're allowing the world to enter us and we're giving everything we have back to the world. It's free of charge. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't, we don't have to go to school to learn how to do it. We don't have to learn with a teacher. All we have to do is just consciously breathe and allow that breath to fill us and empty us, fill us and empty us. You've already told us that Autobiography of a Yogi is the book that you would recommend. Is there an app of any kind that you would suggest 
that can help with mindfulness? Um, there are probably millions of them. I'm just not, I'm, you know, I'm an old man now. I'm 63 years old. I, I didn't grow up with the phone in my hand. So I stay away from technology as much as I can because I believe that all of things out here, as beautiful as they are to help us come inside, we don't need that help. If we just close our eyes and go inside, the app lives right within us. It's called the breath. And if we just watch our breath and listen to our breath and follow our breath, we don't need a handheld device. We don't need a computer. The app is, but we were born with the app. It's what gives us life and keeps us alive. So true. An app that I would recommend is the book called The Mosaic. And it, <laughs> it's, it's found right there online at the Mosaic online.com and it is really a wonderful wonderful read it's profound it's beautiful it's worded in such a such a thoughtful way and i love the spacing because you obviously i think put as much thought into the spacing as you did into the words am i right Uh, absolutely because what i want people to know when they read the book is the story will charm them. It'll warm their heart and it will soothe their soul. But the space between the words will enlighten them. In a book that talks about seeing what you don't see, this is the reason why it would erase what I wrote because it wanted me to say it the way it wanted to say it. In a book that talks about seeing what you can't see, it's only fitting that it would hint to things that it doesn't completely reveal. And it would allow you to discover that reveal on your own as you sit with it in the space between the words. It's also, by the way, available on Amazon. Sometimes that's just easier for people than going to, you know, a website and they can get it quicker and and whatever. But I would love to have people come on to, to my website. I also have a free card reading that they can get there where if they want different perspectives on life, they can ask some of the ordinaries of the mosaic. What they, would, they can ask a question and the ordinaries will come and give three different perspectives. It's fabulous. Danny, it is fabulous and it's been fantastic to have you here. It's my honor to have you as a guest on Mindfulness Mode. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us today. Mirror right back at you, brother. It's it's beautiful when two people can come together and both say what an honor it is to be together. That would be my response too. Yes, it is. All the best to you. Bye now. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.